Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Emerald Podcast. We're here today to talk all things research impact and specifically to talk about uh, a new book that's coming out called The Impactful Academic. With us, we have the editor of that book and two uh, chapter authors. So I'm now going to pass over to my guests to introduce themselves and I'll first pass over to Dr. Wade Kelly from Monash University. Thank you so much for introducing me today and welcoming us to the podcast. Uh, my name is Wade Kelly. I am the Director of Research Excellence and Impact at Monash University. I'm the editor of the book, The Impactful Academic, Building a Research Career That Makes a Difference. And I'm also uh, an author of a few of the chapters. I'm delighted to be here to talk about that work and impact in general. Thanks, Wade. And now I'm going to pass over to Alicia Peart from Northumbria University. Hi, thanks, Ian. And uh, thanks, Wade, for that introduction to our book chapter, which is Writing Impact for Grants, Pack Your Bags, We're Going on an Impact Journey. I'm Alicia Peart. And as uh, Ian said, I'm Research Impact Manager at Northumbria University, where I recently led our research excellence framework, our research assessment exercise submission on research impact but as well as that over the last five years we've been really leading a change in how we think about impact and we integrate it in how we do research at Northumbria but prior to that I came from a different sector from the further education sector in the UK where I was writing uh, grant proposals and they were all about how we were going to make a difference, how we were going to have an impact. So that's really a lot of the knowledge has come from my grant writing experience and then uh, more about sort of impact in, in research specifically. And I'll now hand over to Lucy. Well, it's great to be here talking with you today. I'm Lucy Jowett. Uh, and along with Alicia, I'm also a research impact manager at Northumbria University in the northeast of England. We've been fortunate to be in this role for the last eight years. Through that time, I've seen a real change in the recognition and understanding of research impact in research culture in the UK. So I work across Northumbria University and we support researchers to embed impact in their work throughout the research life cycle from funding bids to research assessment impact case studies. My background's in a range of roles, in public services and regional strategic policy making, which means I've been at the sharp end of initiatives that make a difference to the economy and society. And I know how important research informed policy making is, and that's really stoked my interest in research impact in the first place. Thank you, Lucy, and thank you, everybody, for introducing yourself. We're going to be talking about research impact in general, but but specifically about a new book called The Impactful Academic. So what is the book? Who is it for? And who should be uh, looking at this book? So, Wade. The first question, who is it for, is a, is a good place to start. When we started thinking about this book and what's already on the market, uh, we started thinking about the kinds of approaches that a lot of books take. And they're, they're really based on, um, in a lot of cases, they're based on one project or thinking about a grant or thinking about an individual research area 
Um, but what we really wanted to think about with this book was what does research look like across the lifespan? So if you think of yourself as an academic who wants to generate impact as part of your career, what does that look like, not just within the context of a project, but throughout the lifespan? And so the, the target is, is early career researchers. But I do think, and, and our, our testimonials at the beginning of the book um, suggest this as well, that a lot of seasoned academics will get some unique, uh, useful uh, tips, hints, uh, uh, suggestions on how they can shape their academic practice as well. I also think um, that it's going to be useful for a lot of people who are in the research profession, who support researchers. There's not a lot of uh, books aimed at this demographic, and yet they're incredibly important. The approach I took in soliciting authors for this book was to get people from a variety of different backgrounds. So we've both got academic uh, authors, as well as people like Lucy and uh, Alicia, who come from professional backgrounds, who have a lot of knowledge to share about how to mobilize research out of universities and into practice to make a difference in the world. Um, so those are, those are the really two key things, who's it for, and kind of the approach that we took in putting it together. Yeah, and, and would you say that it's really important to have that balance of academic contribution and professional support service contribution to a book that, that really, from what I can see, is covering the whole impact life cycle? My job is to help my university become impact ready and embed impact into the uh, the organizational structure. And my approach is both a top-down and bottom-up approach. And I always say it's all hands on deck. It is not a researcher who needs to be doing impact. It's not a librarian who needs to be doing impact. It's everyone. It's the senior admins to the PhD students. Um, impact done well at an, at an organization is drawing on all those skills. So why wouldn't we draw on all those skills in a book that's helping people prepare to have an impactful career? To that point, Lucy, Alicia, uh, did you? Uh, what was your experience of, of being involved in a book and being asked to write something that will have this kind of a, hopefully this kind of a reach? From my perspective, it was a really exciting opportunity to put down in writing a lot of the tips and thinking that Alicia and I use in our everyday practice in terms of supporting our academic colleagues across the university. And we shape it in a way that brings everything together in one place, which we realised we hadn't actually done before. And reflecting on the journey that our researchers go through in developing the impact from their research throughout their careers. I think I must have one of the best jobs in the world because I get to work across the whole university with these windows into the fantastic and exciting research that's going on in all these different disciplines and to be able to bring the experience into one place to share our chapter with others, almost like a little handbook, specifically looking at how research funding works in relation to impact. It's been a real joy just to bring that thinking together and offer it to others. Hopefully they'll find it useful to refer to. What I found really exciting about the chapter is all the things that Lucy's talked about, but also working with Wade, um, we, we were talking about how we can make this interesting and, and really engaging for, for the audience. And I find impact is like the most exciting bit of research. To me, you know, research really should be making a difference. It is a journey that you go on. So when I was considering like how we should shape the chapter and how we take it forward. It was so exciting to think of how you describe that journey that people go on. And so that's the format that we've taken. Um, and then thinking about the journey and, and planning a trip and, and planning your impact um, has, has just been such an exciting way to get down on paper kind of 
the way I think about impact, the way I work with the academics that I do at Northumbria, the way I support it across the institution. It's really interesting that everybody's talking about how interesting impact is and how how much they enjoy discussing impact and talking to researchers about impact. That's certainly my experience from from my former career working with uh, researchers and and helping to support them on impact. It was having those conversations about impact was was really one of the most rewarding and exciting things about working with researchers. And it's interesting that everybody on the panel is is, is reflecting that and coming back with the same thoughts, really. I'm going to ask probably... um, a more difficult question now and a more wide-ranging question. So looked a little bit about what the book's doing. So what I'm interested in is the first chapter of the book talks about uh, the impact landscape and where impact sits and where it might be going. And I know that's a massive question to ask for a, for what is a, a relatively short podcast, but I'd just like to get a flavour of where from your individual perspectives and particularly within your regions, you think impact sits currently and where you think it might be moving to so my institution, uh, Monash University, our institutional plan is called Impact 2030. And everything that we will be doing at that institution, for at my institution, for the next eight years is really supposed to be focused around impact generation. So it, it's, it's not a, a flash in the pan. Uh, it, it is something that is here, it's present, uh, and it isn't going away. And so uh, I think that a few years ago, researchers kind of went, oh, it's a fad, it's going to go away. Uh, and then when I, I talk with researchers about global trends, I try and impress upon them that this is not new, that places like Canada, they might have been calling it something different. They might have been calling it knowledge mobilization, translation, synthesis, exchange, whatever. In the States, they might be calling it a broader impact. Some of these things have been around for 20 some odd years. Um, it's not new, and we can learn a lot from those other areas of the world that are doing impactful research. Um, often they're they're talking about the journey rather than destination. <laughs> Back to your metaphor, uh, Alicia, uh, the journey rather than destination. Impact is the destination, but the, the the journey is really important, and and that's what we're talking about in in the book. And what I'm trying to impress upon people uh, when I work with them in, in higher education is is that we need to focus on the mechanisms to help people on that journey to generate impact. Um, there's a lot of conversation around funders and government, and the, the drivers of impact are not just an assessment. It's not just the ref. It's not just the engagement and impact assessment. It's it's philanthropic funders. It's institutional priorities. It's this philosophical question of of what is our compact with society? What why why do we exist? What do we owe re, uh, our taxpayers, our, our funders, the people who who give us the money to make research happen? And so it's the impact. The world is is part of a much bigger, I think. Uh, movement that we probably won't really understand until you know years from now uh, in higher education and the direction higher education is headed. And I'd sort of add in the in the UK um, from obviously in the UK a, a lot of ours is um, assessment driven are kind of motivators within higher education impact whereas other places in the world that you mentioned such as Canada it's a bit more mission focused that they're going with their impact. But that said. It is becoming more embedded that it's, you know, is what good research should look like and, and that it is just the right thing to do. But at the UK government level, the new sort of strategies they're releasing are all about innovation for the UK and innovation is you know, impact um, is that sort of global Britain and the difference that um, 
research and other things within the UK can make for UK PLC for the businesses. So it's it's really in the UK such a kind of fundamental government strategy, which our main funders, UKRI, have then sort of fed through on how they want to see impact and innovation being achieved and how they're going to fund it and how they're going to help the government meet its its strategy. And then at the end of the sort of seven year cycle, that there is the research assessment framework, these, this sort of assessment of what's been achieved. And in back in 2014, impact was introduced for the very first time. And as Wade said, everyone probably thought it was a bit of a flash in the pan. It certainly came as a shock to everybody. Um, and, and then it came again in, in 2021, but it actually got more important. It gone from 20% of the assessment to 25% of the assessment. So you're really seeing that growth happening. I think that impact is an embedded important area of focus. And it's also a growing area of focus, certainly in the UK. And the contacts we've had with colleagues in other parts of Europe too indicate that it is. And indeed, in Hong Kong and other parts of the world, it seems to be gaining momentum internationally. However, we haven't quite got there yet. I think even in the UK, where we've been working with this for some time, the trick is now to embed impact as part of what good research culture looks like, rather than some sort of add-on or afterthought or additional task that has to be done. And I think a lot more remains to be done to celebrate and reward impactful research and impactful researchers too. So we were talking about integrating effective impact planning into research funding bids and whether that skill set exists across the research community. So I'll pass back to Lucy to talk about that a bit. I don't think it does universally exist across um, the whole research community. We see pockets of of, um, uh, very experienced researchers who have a lot of previous experience of delivering impactful research. Uh, We see a lot of early career researchers who are really um, excited by um, research impact and want to embed it into the research that they do from now on into the future. But it's quite variable. Sometimes we find there can be a knowledge gap and we need to work with researchers individually sometimes to help them to really understand what impact is, that it's the change that's occurring, the benefit that's occurring as a result of their research beyond academia, or sometimes unpicking what it is and what it isn't is really important too, so we can get to the nub of it. And understanding, of course, that research um, can generate impact at all points during the research life cycle. So it's not just a question of thinking about it at the beginning, perhaps when putting in a a research funding bid, or at the end when reporting back on what you've done, but to think about it as a whole career process um, where you can make a difference with a wide range of stakeholders potentially across your whole career. Yeah, Lucy, so I, I agree with everything and that's and that's sort of how we wrote about it in our in our chapter. But I also think as well, some of those those skills that you need to be able to think about how you're planning it and, and what impact is and, and, and how you achieve it and that stakeholder engagement and who you need to speak to and why you need to speak to them and, and when is is a skill that's that's learnt over time. It's it's not necessarily taught um as you know through PhDs. And, and as you're starting to go into research. So it is definitely something that 
um, it needs to be supported for academics in learning how to, to engage with the right people at the right time to find out why they're wanting to do the research and, and who it really would make a difference for and also thinking about unintended consequences as well which I think is really important as well um, there are cases where it hasn't been considered about what the possible negative impacts could be of that work by not speaking to the right people at the right time so really is important to kind of think about it in the round Wade I know you've got some thoughts on this as well it's, it's such an interesting time right now in higher education because you're right I think a lot of the systems um that support the generation of impact are nascent. Um, a lot of the research training uh, is is new and, and, and we're kind of still building those skills. A lot of the skills that are required for impact uh, exist in other areas of the university. Um, you guys, your, your chapter talks a lot about the, the writing of, of impact and, and preparing that impact statement. The genre of an impact statement is kind of a new thing for a lot of people. Um, and, and so there's a, a lot of work that needs to be done by lots of actors at institutions. Um, I, th I think that the benefit of this chapter is that it, it helps fill that gap for people who didn't have that experience as part of their training or development. And it gives them a really nice starting point of, of how to start thinking about this, um, this project planning. The amount of times that people come to me and go, oh, I've got my impact statements, the last thing I've got to do. And I go, well, then you're not going to get the funding <laughs> because it needs to be the first thing or, or maybe at, at least the second thing that you think about. Uh, and then you can bake it in appropriately throughout. And, and talking with people like Alicia or, or Lucy or someone like me at your institution who can help you with that thinking is, is a really interesting process. I, I also, I'm just wondering, I'm, as we're talking about this, and I remember going back to conversations that Lucy and Alicia and myself had when we were planning the chapter, one of the things that we were talking about was how often people are so into their research and 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 they, they know so much about one specific area and they're so focused on that little tiny problem that they can't zoom out and tell us why they're doing it, what the bigger sociological, ecological, whatever the other, whatever the problem, wherever it's situated is, they can't tell you what the, the, the view of the research is from 50,000 feet. They can tell you what they're doing. They can tell you what they want, how they want to solve it, how they want to address it, how they, the outputs that they might generate, whom they might work with. But often they can't tell you why they're why they're doing it, what the problem is the world in the world. Alicia, uh, Lucy, is that something that you guys have found in, in doing consultations and working with researchers? Yes, it, it really is. And, and I think um, one of the things I quite often say to our academics is, so what? which I think might annoy them slightly, but they'll be talking about what they're going to do. And again, it's on quite a micro scale, but I'll be saying, so what, you know, what is that bigger picture? Why, why are you wanting to do that? What is the, you know, this very tiny focus thing you're wanting to achieve, but, but why? And another question I've quite often asked them is if you were speaking to your friends who are completely outside of academia and have nothing to do with your piece of research, what do you tell them about what you want to achieve and why you're doing it? And and when you sort of ask them in that way and they think about it very differently, they they then do think sort of zooming out like to the sort of long-term goal or the so what, you know, a very simple analogy might be, you know, ultimately you want to find the cure to a certain type of cancer or you know so there's health benefits you you know you want to sort of really have a health impact but when you're speaking to them about the research they're really down to you know the nub of 
of, of that particular very specific piece of research but when you say so what and, and how do you describe that to your friends they can really kind of zoom it zoom it out and it might not be as big not all impacts need to be as big as I'm finding the cure to cancer but you know they do draw it out when you ask that question. Julie Bailey likes to talk about passing the baton. So for fundamental and bench scientists, this is really important to be able to zoom out and say, we need to know about this cell or this protein, this enzyme, so that we can pass that baton to the next researcher and we can go from a chemist to a medical researcher to a pharmaceutical researcher, et cetera, et cetera. So some of the most exciting conversations I have with researchers is stepping back and and looking at the big picture and wondering about what potential pathways to impact there could possibly be for their research. And this is being quite blue skies in itself, or potentially even fanciful, but just getting the opportunity to uh, have a discussion about the many different pathways to impact that there could be, what changes could happen in the world in the near term, in the medium term, in the long term, by working with all sorts of ranges of different stakeholders and taking different actions that could then snowball into other actions. It can really be quite exciting um, and start to generate discussions about possibilities that um, researchers who've been quite focused in on one particular area of research in detail, as Wade just described, um, may not have considered the exciting potential of what could happen following through. I've had some tremendous discussions, for example, with a a colleague who is doing some research into local accents, local British accents, and how they can potentially um, cause people to be discriminated against. Um, He just wanted to raise awareness of that When we started to look at it and really delve into it, he realised that what he wanted to do really was to change legislation in the UK to make accents a protected characteristic. So it actually would become illegal to discriminate against people on that basis. And that is now how he's planning his impacts into the future um, to try to achieve that end and influence policy on, on a big scale. Um, so it, it can be great to take that time to talk with either colleagues like Alicia and myself and Wade, or perhaps with other um, academic colleagues who've also already had some experience of, of developing impacts from their research, just to have the bouncing back and forth conversations about what's possible. So we've talked a lot and alluded to the fact that research policy is starting, especially in the UK, to really push the drive towards research funding and and, and research in general to be geared towards thinking about impact innovation, knowledge exchange and these sorts of things. So what I'm interested in exploring a little bit is how we see funders responding to that and are funders responding in the right way and and giving researchers a clear steer on how to integrate impact into their bids and what is the kind of landscape around funding and and integration of impact or is it still as it it was a few years ago the wild west where there's an awful lot of different requirements from different funders and and the complexities are still high so I'm interested in how you see that and uh, who, who would like to jump in on that one. So, yeah, I mean, it it has been such a journey for funders and different funders have approached it, you know, quite differently. And there are still funders that, you know, very much are on fundamental research and and they're not sort of touching impact. But going to our sort of biggest sort of research funder, UKRI, 
they really are sort of taking forward the sort of mantle on on making sure it's embedded and they removed pathways to impact um, in 2020 and for some academics they thought yay that means they're not focusing on impact anymore and and to anybody who's listening who thinks that you know really sorry no that actually means that they really want it as integrated in your research and it's not a standalone you know pathways to impact section that you fill out at the end of the proposal and and by removing it what UKRI wanted to see was that impact was threaded through the research application it really was thought about as you start to think about why you're doing the research as you're responding to the call that they're writing um, and it's it's spoken about all the way through now UKRI have just completed their survey and I think we'll be seeing the results of that soon um, where they were asked they went out to UK organ- academics and professional support teams and asked how do we think that's gone and we, we wait to see their their results but certainly from my point of view I think they'll find that it's probably not gone quite as well as they maybe thought it had and there was possibly lots of comments about um, needs to be more communication and, and making it much more specific that that impact still is fundamentally important to a lot of the calls that they do and a lot more explicit advice and guidance on how to do it I think the other thing as well is is um, some of the different funding councils within UKRI speak about it slightly different and have slightly different guidance and slightly different toolkits so I'm personally hoping that that through that consultation they'll maybe bring it much more together and make it a bit more cohesive and and a one place that we can signpost people to to find out about impact for UKRI not the sort of separate funding councils Um, but we we wait and see for that one but certainly over stepping over into Europe and sort of the Horizon Europe programs you know they have a whole pillar of, of funding that is just dedicated to impact and to innovation and they you know that's been around for quite a while and they're very explicit on on the needs for impact in that one yeah so alicia i agree with everything you've said there and of course there are other funders who are very mission specific for example charitable foundations and so on who wish to see their investment aligning with their strategies and goals Uh, to make a difference to what they've been set up for. And in those cases, it's usually very explicit uh, about what they expect um, in terms of impact coming out of of the the research that's being conducted or funded through their money. Um, Because, of course, they want to ensure that their funding's making a difference to um, the reason that they're there. In Chapter 1, I talk about how there are lots of different definitions of impact, um, but the, the important thing for researchers to know is what their definition of impact is and then fitting that within whatever uh, the definition of the, the, the is provided by the funder. In Australia, we've got a couple different big research funders. We've got the ARC, the NHMRC. Uh, we've got the MRFF. Those are kind of our CAT1 grants are what those call, are called. Um, but then we've also got tons of philanthropic partners. We've got industry partners, other government bodies, you know, state government. All of our internal grants have an impact requirement as well. The, the definition of impact is inconsistent. Um, and, and that's seen as difficult for a lot of people. Um, and I don't think it's honestly going to get all that much easier. Uh, and I think that that's okay. Uh, I think it's about knowing where you're applying for, what the expectations are, and and being able to 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 write to that genre. So writing for a Rotary Club 
grant is going to be very different than writing for a, a major Cat One grant. It's just being able to to understand what they're asking for and and, and giving that to them. That's basic grant writing, I think. And for some reason, we 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 think that impact is different somehow. I totally agree with that. I mean, the any application you're going for 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 research grants, it it really does come down to the, the criteria and the and the specific um, grant. You know, the call that's in there, what their their aims and achievements. They're quite specific about like what they want as their outcomes and their outputs, um, and the impact is the outcome at the end and they'll be quite specific about talking about that and and that's what you need to be looking for and aiming any application for that and you know in the chapter we talk about there being no boilerplate text because you can't just copy and paste you can't just sort of do the same thing and just send it to a different funder it really has to be specific um and all of them do have different aims and objectives because it's, it's what they're wanting to achieve, what they want to see happening from the funding. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about the, the idea that there isn't a boilerplate text, Alicia, because I just wondered where that came from. Because if you think about research applications and applying for funding, it, it's kind of obvious that every single research application has got to be individualized and met and and delivered to the funders' requirements and also the particular research you're planning to, to carry out. So I just wonder where this idea around there being a sort of standardised thing for impact comes from, both for funders and for uh, impact assessment as well. I don't know where the idea comes from, but I certainly know that it's it's something I'm regularly asked for. Um, and <laughs> even in my experience, when I was um, writing um, the funding applications that weren't specifically research, it was constantly like, can't we just copy that section from the previous one? You know, can't is there not a standard template I can write up? And, and it has copied over into impact. Can you just send me somebody else's example and I'll write it up? I don't know why it happens that they kind of think that it's a, a template and you could follow it or you could have boilerplate text and you just copy and paste it. I think it's it comes with everybody when you're busy, you know, and you've got a lot to do. When you read the guidance, you think, gosh, there's so much to write about in this. Can I, can I shortcut it? Um, but unfortunately, you can't shortcut it because it is so specific to what, needs to be achieved how you're going to achieve it and and for impact you know specifically um it's you know what is that final destination that you want to get to and how you get there is very very different for every sort of funding call you're putting in for or what your long-term aims are and who you're passing the bat on to and going back to when we were talking about you know if impact for you is is passing the bat on along you know what are the needs of those people that need to pick up the bat on it's kind of like um how if someone uses the same generic bio all the time at some point it's just going to not fit and you're going to look at it and go why did they give me this generic bio that is not related to this community <laughs> conference at all? And they're just talking about how they did an internship at, you know, uh, and some time at Harvard and so on. Well, it, it doesn't read well. And so why would you do that with impact? It's the same situation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I'd also say it's, it's a bit like um, 
job applications you know you always see where they they say an unsuccessful application is where you've just submitted the same application or the same cv and you haven't tailored it to the requirements of the job role you're applying for you know it's, it's the same thing here you know it needs to be so tailored to to what you're applying for yeah i completely agree with that tailoring um is is really important um and I think going back to why boilerplate text, um, given everything that uh, that's already been said, I think it also shows a fundamental lack of understanding about what impact really is. Um, and that, you know, when you're working with your collaborators and stakeholders, it's critical to plan the best ways to engage with them. And, and that will change and vary depending on the circumstances. Um, each each situation will be unique and so it's really important to think that through to plan from the start um, to uh, also consider ways of of monitoring and evaluating what's going what's happened what's gone well and feed that in and change and so all these things amount to needing to be very uh tailored to use that term each time you uh, write that uh, that funding application and i can tell you as, as someone who's reviewed impact statements and grants uh it's very obvious it's very very obvious when um the, the impact statement is either boilerplate it's recycled it is not bespoke uh, it's been left to the last second it's, it's very very obvious I'm interested in in something else around kind of funding bids and and, and kind of following on a little bit from, from the conversation we've been having. But I'm interested in thinking about the fact that obviously impact is about how our research could change the world or could make a difference in the world. And we've had some great examples in, 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 the, in the discussion so far. But I'm just interested in whether you think there is a temptation for researchers to either overpromise their impact, going back to the idea of a job application and, and a research application being kind of similar and kind of overpromise the potential their research can have to, to make that difference in the world, or go the other way and kind of underpromise on what, what, what their impact is in the fear of, of kind of failure of delivery or, or in the hope that they then don't have to carry out some of those wider engagement activities. I just wonder where you where you think that sits currently and is there a temptation to do either or, or are researchers kind of getting it, pitching it right at the minute? I think either of those can potentially happen. But what we tend to find is more of an issue um, is researchers um, perhaps planning well what they'd like to do, but then not costing those activities into their research funding bid. So when they come to actually want to deliver those activities with their stakeholders, they don't necessarily have the resources to do that, but they um, are under pressure to do it because it's been part of their approved funding bid and, and that can cause real problems. So uh, I think the move on behalf of the um, UK research councils to indicate that there's an expectation of at least 10 to 15 percent of spend within um, a research grant should be spent on impact has been very helpful um, in encouraging researchers to think carefully about um, actually costing in the work that they're going to do so that they can deliver it. Yeah, and I, I'd also say um, I've seen examples of of under-promising because they just haven't considered it and thought about it and, and really, you know, thought what that impact could be, over-promising it, as in it's, you know, it's not achievable in the in the time frame. It's, you know, it's really gone for the big picture, but but not talked about what's achievable 
you know, within the grant life cycle, because you can talk about the the end aim, but as long as you're very clear about, you know, what you're going to achieve from this. But the other thing I've seen um, is completely misaligned where they're, they're talking about the impact. I suppose this is overreaching the impact they're going to achieve, but the route they're going to get there just doesn't match up there's completely no alignment so there was one that I was um, supporting where they were talking about um, it was it was to do with computer sciences and they were going to develop um, a piece of code that would be used by these companies and these companies would take it on and integrate it into their business and make loads of money their pathway where they talked about how they were going to achieve that impact and what they were going to do was they were going to do a hackathon and a, and a school event and engage school children and teach them about coding. You know, and, and reading that bid, you, you can see there is no way you're going to achieve businesses wanting to sort of use this code or even know you've made this, you know, amazing piece of code that they want to, to use through a hackathon and, and a school outreach project. So when we changed the conversation and started talking about who are these companies that would want to use it? How do you know they need to use it? You know, have you spoken to them that this is a need? We then, you know, thought about who are the gatekeeper organizations that could work, you know, could help them answer that and find those companies. Because it turned out they didn't even specifically know the organizations that do need it or how they'd reach them. So then we took it back to the who the gatekeeping organizations, you know, and, and then rewrote the bid to be about, you know, the research was going on, but how they were going to engage the gatekeeping organizations and these ultimate, you know, stakeholders that they want to be using it eventually in the research in order to eventually hopefully them have done something these companies want to take on and and use in their product. One of my frustrations that I always badger on about is when people say we will have an impact on policy by working with policymakers. And I always go, well, who are they? And what are the policies? It's this, it's just nonsense. And a a reviewer reads that and goes, well, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what policies exist and they don't know who the policymakers are. So I would send a researcher back and say, uh, you need to do some investigation. You need to take a, a page out of Alicia's book here and find out who are the gatekeepers, who are the, who are the organizations who, who possess this knowledge and, and how can we mobilize it into that space? So for an example, uh, I, I work with a, uh, quite a few physiotherapy researchers in my previous job. Lovely folks. One of my uh, consultations with one of them, I asked, you know, how are you going to get this intervention that you've got evidence you, or you think you will have evidence is going to be successful? How will you get uh, this this into practice? How will you get this intervention into practice? And the the individual goes, well, we'll work with policy. No, that's not going to do. Uh, we're we're going to get it into clinical guidelines. Okay, well, that how, what does that look like? How will you do that? I don't know. Well, if you don't know, you can't promise it. So if you can at least in the grant say that I understand how professional associations work, I understand how clinical guidelines are, are, are adopted and, and, and uh, you know uh, how stuff gets in them, the approval process, et cetera. And if you can tell the person reviewing the grant that you understand that whole process, that you even better know how to engage with that process and know people who are involved in that process, it's a lot more likely that what you're actually promising is realistic and achievable. I'm smiling at all these examples because they all ring very true from from my own experience as well. I have one final question uh, for each of you to answer, and I want to play a little game. Imagine that in 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 front of us now is a is a 
fresh, new, early career researcher just about to embark on their research career. And I just wanted each of you to give your top tip for for that researcher to think about impact or something to avoid during their research career right from the start. So um, if we can kind of think of what that top tip would be. Engage early and engage often. Uh, I work with PhD students all the time. Uh, I gave a talk about this last week. During the PhD, it is not a very reasonable expectation that you'll be generating impact. Learning how to do research is, is often what the PhD is about, but you've got this golden opportunity, this perfect time to hone your engagement skills. And so being able to do, do public talks, do three-minute thesis, do visualize your thesis, learn how to uh, engage with various different stakeholders, join professional associations and academic associations, but this is an opportunity to hone those skills that are going to be required to really generate impact down the road. Wade, that's absolutely great advice. And and I think with that, with honing your networks, it's also about finding out how you get support and advice within your organization. So there are so many people that can help you with impact, can help you with engaging, can help you to understand who are the right people to engage with at the right time. You, you're not on your own in this journey. Um, so, you know, really learning about who in your institution can help you, who within your networks you can speak to outside of the institution. So as you say, signing up to those professional bodies, those other organizations, but but sort of really looking into it and learning about it. And your organization will also deliver probably a lot of training about engagement, about stakeholder mapping, about what impact is, about how you plan for it, about what the difference is between the journey um, planning for impact and the destination. And another really important thing, certainly in, in the UK, is, is also learning about how you know you've arrived at your destination, how you evaluate the impact you've achieved. And that's another skill that you may have learnt through um, your PhD because that is, you know, evaluation is is fundamental in the type of research you're doing. For others, it it's, might be completely outside your discipline. So, you know, kind of learning about how, how you evaluate, how you know you're making a difference, how you know you've achieved what you set out to do is a, a skill that will take quite a long time to hone and build in. So So start finding out how you learn about that you know, as soon as you're setting off on that journey? So I think that um, planning for impact um, all the way through your particular research project and through your career is what I would advise. So thinking carefully at the outset about why you want to go on your research journey and what your impact problem statement might look like, what you want to achieve by going on that journey, where do you want to get to so you might Think of your impact goals, who you'll need to involve and take with you along the way. So your beneficiaries, your stakeholders, your gatekeepers or intermediaries and um, what you'll do along the way and how much it'll cost. So that's more of your pathways to impact. Um, and lastly, as Alicia's just mentioned, also, um, how do you know when you've arrived at your destination? So that whole planning for impacts really important but I would also say be aware of the unpredictable of the serendipitous of things that just arise without planning that you can really capitalize on 
um, a new relationship with a new stakeholder, a new pathway to impact, some change that's happened that you couldn't predict. Be on the lookout for those um, because that's also potential impact and uh, can take you down a whole new path of, of exploration and change. So I'd like to say a big thank you to our guests today, Wade, Alicia and Lucy, for what has been an excellent discussion looking at impact and uh, the new book, The Impactful Academic. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. It's, it's been excellent and, and I've really enjoyed our, our conversation. And finally, thank you to everybody for listening. <laughs>